Now, I'm starting a new series. How do we see God? We live in a chaotic world. And, and, and those events in our lives, those challenges in our lives, do affect how we see God. Now, I'm going to be, this Sunday and the next several Sundays is going to be a series on that. Today, I'm, I'm just setting the groundwork of this. And I can't wait for next week as, as I'm going to be sharing you out of the book of Habakkuk. And I, I always wondered, why don't we ever name our boys Habakkuk anymore? You know, I never think, no, it just looks like a Habakkuk, you know. Maybe not. Okay. But, but the idea that that book starts out with all types of questions. Don't we have questions? And God wants to bring us to questions, to confidence. I can't wait to share in that message next Sunday. But let's get into this one right now. So are you ready for this? Tell the person beside you, this is for you. That's good. We're going to be out of the book of Isaiah, the sixth chapter. What happens when we see God? Um, I was going to start off on talking about a little boy named Daniel. And Daniel is an eight-year-old, and he talks about, you know, what he knows about God. He talks about, you know, one of the main jobs that, um, that God has is making people. He makes babies because it's much easier to make babies than it is to make adults. And, that, and, and, then, and then it's much easier, too, because he just lets mommy and daddy teach them how to talk and teach them how to, to walk and things of that sort. And I think they, uh, mom and dad has, has done a good job, and he talks about, you know, the second most important thing that God uh, does is that he listens to prayers. Now, he listens to everything, and, and he's talking in that little testimony of his and saying how, wow, that must get kind of noisy out there and that hearing all those prayers. And on he goes talking about his understanding of God. I don't ever underestimate the wisdom of a child. Listen to them, what they have to say. I, I love to be able to work with the children in VBS, and I would do some teachings with them. They, they are absolutely profound in, in what they share in their understanding. Well, what about our, us as adults? What, what is our understanding? How we see God through the challenges of our life. Now, Isaiah 6 chapter is very interesting. In, in, in the very beginning of it is, is this incredible vision that, that Isaiah has in, 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 in seeing God. And then, then the rest of that chapter is dealing with, well, what hinders us from, from seeing God. And so I don't want to start in the beginning, then end, you know, with positive and end the negative. I'm going to start with the latter part of Isaiah, the sixth chapter, then move to the very beginning of it. So, so let's go to Isaiah 6, verse 9. I'm going to read from the, um, the Living Bible, because I want you to get a very clear understanding of what he's saying here. It's, it's rather frightful. And, and he said, yes. Go, but tell my people this. Though you hear my words repeatedly, you won't understand them. Though you watch and watch and I perform my miracles, still you won't know what they mean. 
dull their understanding, close their ear, uh, their eyes, and shut, close their ears and shut their eyes. I don't want them to see or to hear or to understand to me to, to heal them. Wow. That, that frightens me. Why in the world would God say that? What, what is he telling me? That's not fear. He's telling me that he's closing my eyes. He's shutting off my ears. He says, not allow me to understand his works. That's not really the full story. Because these people did something to cause all that hap to happen. Why don't people see God clearly? Let me give you the first reason. A rebellion against God. God was blessing the uh, Judah at this time, the Israelites. He was ministering to them so powerfully in the land because everything was being provided for them. They had a great king. And, and this king was, was doing a great job in, in giving them that security and prosperity. It's kind of like America, isn't it? God, God has blessed us in such an incredible way. But yet, he says, they have ears but won't, won't, I mean, they have eyes but won't see, and they have ears but won't hear. And then it's like God says, now that's the congregation that I want you to have. Good night. That would be horrible to have a church that people just don't want to hear or learn. That's why I love you here at CFA. Love you online that you are tuning in from home here in Arizona or around the world that I'm so happy to have people who have a heart to hear that word of God. I wake up on Sunday morning. I can hardly wait to be able to bring this word to you. Why is that? Because I know that that you're there watching. I know that, that I would move to my right and you're all the eyes move a little bit and then I move to my left and the eyes move over here. There, there's, there's some of you that are leaning forward because they're saying, I want to catch every word. Others are taking notes and, and what is being said. There, there's Arlene's there watching me twice because she's watching me here and then she has on her phone or live streaming on that. Because she wants to get a double portion today. And, um, but here's the thing. Is that I love because you have a heart for God. But out of their rebellion, they lost that. You see, they were willfully sinning. That's what sin is. It says willful disobedience to, to the known will of God. James 4, verse 17 says, To whomsoever knoweth to do good and does it not to him, it is sin. Now, here's what happened with the Israelites. In the Old Testament, there is this cycle that they got into. They repeated it again and again. You think that you would learn from your mistakes, but they were not doing this. It started off like this. It started off with being reckless. They were reckless in their gratefulness dealing with God. They were ungrateful. God was blessing them in spite 
of where they were in spite of being under that regime that was ungodly, but yet fear, and they were being blessed. There was security and there was prosperity that they were receiving. And then they were, well, unappreciative of the relationship in which they have with God. They just didn't really care. See, they went from a reckless relationship to a rebellious relationship, the rebellion in their heart, to a hardening of the heart. Because after a while, I don't care anymore. Then to a stubborn heart, you're not going to tell me what to do. I'm going to do what I want to do. Life is good to me, and I want to live the life that I want to live. Then to willfully disobedient heart, towards God. When that happens, that very next step is ruin. It's ruin from spiritual ruin, moral ruin. ruin. A nation is scattered and they're taken captive. Now, I want you to hear me well, church. We may be the strongest nation, the most powerful nation in the world. And we may truly believe that there is no one who would be able to take us captive. And that may be true, except sometimes what happens is that the corruption comes from within. And it's not the captivity of a nation, it's a captivity of demonic forces and of sin in our lives that bounds us. We, I think I said years ago, is that our freedom to do what we want to do has become our bondage. Because people got, has gotten caught up in their sins because they had the freedom to do what they want to do. And now they're in captivity of the one who wants to destroy them. In understanding that, they realized what they were missing and how far that they were taken. So that then they come, this next cycle part of that is repentance. In, in that repentance comes that restoration. Don't you just love a God who is willing to bring that restoring work within our lives. And that's what he did. The sad thing is that they did it again, and they did it again, and they did it again. See, the, the second thing, reason why they did not see God very clearly is they put God in a box. You go, what do you mean by putting God in a box? What they wanted to do is that they wanted to bring God's ways down to their ways so that they could systematically understand him. He's going to do this, then he's going to do that, then he's going to do another thing. It's like in 2 Kings, the fifth chapter, you know the story of Naaman. Naaman is this Syrian army commander, and he has leprosy. He, he has this, this wonderful little gal in his, his, um, as a servant in his home. And, and she says, Naaman, Naaman, if, if you were only in my country, she's in captivity. She's a slave. And yet she cares enough for him to tell him that there's a way out of that leprosy. 
there is a man named Elisha, and he is there, and he can be used in bringing healing in your life. Well, that got his attention. So Naaman goes to Elisha, and he goes there because he wants this healing to happen. But what actually happens, he shows up at Elisha's residence. Elisha's not there. He sends another servant, a messenger. And that messenger tells Naaman, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go down to the Jordan River and dip there seven times. Well, that did not make Naaman very happy because he thought, well, I'm going to show up. I'm a commander of the Syrian army. I know how things should be. I know the laws, the orders of how people should act. I come there. I expect him to come up, wave his hand over me, and then leprosy to call upon the Lord his God, and I would be healed. But that didn't happen. So, what does this commander do? There we see in, in um, 1 Kings, the fifth chapter, he says this, Behold, Naaman said, I thought. Wow. I thought it would be done this way. He put God in a box. He figured out it's done this way. A, B, C, D, E, and F. God had other plans. He didn't like that. He wasn't going to do it at all. Thank God for the, pers the persistence of a servant because they talked him into going down to the Jordan River, dipping into that water seven times, coming out as the skin is pure as a baby's skin. Hmm. Then he makes a statement in verse 15 of 2 Kings 5. He says, now I know. Hmm. Now I know. I can't put God into my box, what I think he should do, because his ways really are higher than ours. You know, it's, it's, it's like this. Is, is sometimes what we'll do is that, and I love people that pray. I love people that pray with prayer journals. I love people that use those prayer journals and are praying. They're reading the word, they're listening to God, and they're praying, praying and writing down what God is saying to them. It's like a person who would pray and they're saying, okay, we're waiting for God to speak to him, and God says, eat an orange. Oh, strange, but I eat an orange. I like oranges. When you wake up in the morning, eat an orange. So the next day, he goes to the Lord in prayer. He has his Bible. He has his prayer journal. He's waiting before the Lord, and, and the Lord says, eat an orange. Oh, that's kind of cool. So he tells me the second day, eat an orange. Then the third day, and the fourth day, and on it goes. Until one day, he thinks he figured it out. He knows exactly what God is going to do. He puts God into his box. He doesn't even pray anymore because God is telling him each day, wake up and eat an orange. He doesn't use his prayer journal. He doesn't read the Bible. And what happens that he loses that fresh touch of God because now it's going to be done systematically. He put God in that box and he loses that intimate relationship in which he is able to have with God. That's easily done, folks, because, you see, we want to control him, not him control us. The third reason why 
we fail to see God clearly is that we see God through ourselves. Now, we know this, that God created man in his own image. Woo, wow. Um, you know, I've been serving the Lord a long time. I still don't grasp all of that. I'm created in his image. I'm still discovering the great potential that there lies within me by that created image of God within my life. And it is absolutely amazing, and it is endless. But here's what we have done in return, is that we gave that favor back to God and we created him in our image. We think that God's going to be like us now because now I'm able to use, look at me, and I say, well, this is the giftings I have, this, that, and other thing. That's who God is, thinking that that's all of God. That's why I love when I see you here in the house of God or when I see a new individual in the house of God who come to visit with us because every one of us, have a uniqueness of that creative work, that image of God, but we have not all arrived yet. He's still doing that work in our lives. And we are better together than we are alone because, you see, now I'm getting to know more and more what God looks like in each other, and we become stronger because we all have strengths and we all have weaknesses. But one beauty of it is that when we come together as one, we are better because we see more of God, and it's not in our likeness. It's in his likeness of who he is and what he wants to do. There's another thing that, that we do is that we, we have a hard time seeing God clearly because we kind of see God through our parents. Um, if you have a father, a parent who is like an army drill sergeant, what you see is someone who's demanding, someone who points out all your failures, who does not compliment you. You just need to line up. You know, it's, it's, we become fearful of them. And, and what we do, we project that upon everything. We project that when we're driving down the road and we, we see a police car you know, with us. Now, I never do this because you might. So automatically, I look at my speedometer, you know, thinking what, how fast or fast or slow that I'm going. And then I'm realizing I'm going 5 or 15 miles past the speed limit. And I'm thinking if I'm going to hit the brake, that drill sergeant behind me is going to see me hitting the brake and realize that I'm doing something wrong. He's going to pull me aside. So I'm praying, winds of heaven, please blow against this car to slow it down, you know, because I'm afraid for that to happen. But we project that onto God. Or, or maybe we have a parent who was like a Santa Claus, there's that CEO child who got, gets everything that they want. And so now they're projecting that on God, and God doesn't give them what they want. And they're saying, God, why aren't you giving me what I want? But God's ways are far higher than that. The fifth reason why we fail to see God clearly is that we see him through the media. <laughs> yes, the media. 
When's the last time that you ever seen something that was glorifying God on TV or on the news? You just don't see that. In fact, fact on TV, they have these reality shows that drive me out of my mind. I don't watch them. I see the advertisement. I'm thinking, what? I shouldn't say that. I was ready to say, what lunatic would watch that? But maybe someone is. Sorry. But I'm thinking, you've got to be kidding me. You have this guy who's dating 15 girls at one time, and every girl was okay with that? You know, when, 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 I was dating, when I was dating Arlene, she was going to one church, I was going to the other church, and, and, but, but I was kind of calling this other girl too. But I... I didn't know that she was going to the same church that Arlene was going to. <laughs> Guess which one I chose real quick. You know, I think, well, good night, because there's no way she's going to put up with that. I'm thinking, what, what people are doing in TV today, they're glorying in their shame. That tells us what's going to happen in the latter days. And we, we get caught up in that stuff. So I'm looking at that as entertainment. And God is saying, you're filling your mind with this stuff. You're not seeing me anywhere. In fact, even in news, decades ago, they would say, we're praying for you today. They don't even say we're praying for you. They're saying, oh, you're in our thoughts. You're in our heart. I'm going to be in my name on your lips calling out to a God who could make a difference because you, my friend, can't, but he can. So talk to God about me, not just talk to me about I'm in your thoughts. So that influences us how we see God because we don't see God as a means of helping people any longer. The sixth reason is this is that we don't see God clearly is because of our apathy. We have lost our feelings towards mankind because our world has become so destructive towards one another, and that has created an apathetic emotion towards one another, which is transferred to God. Because we're saying now, why didn't you fix it? We blame you. We, we, we want to blame God for our mistakes. We, we want to blame God for our behaviors. We don't want to take that responsibility so that when we get in that apathetic mode of ours, we lose sight of what he can do, and I don't see God very clearly. Whew, yeah. You know what I'm going to do? After I go through those six parts, I just, I'm going to shake that stuff off of me, you know? It's like a dog would get caught in a dust storm, and they come in, and they, they shake, and all that dust flies everywhere on them. I'm going to shake that off. I'm going to talk to you. Just go to the beginning of Isaiah, the sixth chapter. I want to talk to you about what happens when we do see God clearly. The first thing that happens is confusion. You're thinking, what in the world 
How does that help? How does confusion help us to see God clearly? You see, when this king died, they lost a leader who was providing prosperity and security in their life. They're wondering, what in the world are we going to do now? Who's going to take care of us? There was that confusion in which they had of what their future may be. <laughs> Anybody have any confusion lately? Any confusion of the condition of our world, let alone our nation? Of wondering, what are we going to do now with all this chaos that is around us? Well, that's not a bad place because when I'm in that place, the Holy Spirit is able to begin to speak to us if I am looking for that. I cannot allow all that distraction. And that distraction is everywhere. And what it happens, one thing after another, even if I'm blaming my parents or if I'm blaming the media or whoever I want to blame, I lose my focus on what's actually happening, the condition I am in, and I don't see God. What, what I love about this is, could, could I tell you something here, too, for just a moment, is I realize as I look at you here in this congregation, you look marvelous. You know, can't see a half of you. Oh, boy, there's a Kinsey. You know, can't wait for that to be over with. But, but I know that, that you may look good, but you've got questions, more questions than answers. You've got pieces of the puzzle that you just can't find. You've got a marriage that is struggling, a family that is struggling. You've heard from the doctor and it's kind of concerning. Your children, young and old, are causing you to lose sleep at night. We look at all this stuff that is going on around us in the world, and the only one conclusion we have is life is a mess. And it is. But that's not a bad place to be, my friend. Because in that place, when I begin to see that God is there in the midst of that confusion, there's something that happens is a confession. That's number two. Confession is a bad. Listen to this in Isaiah 6, 5. He says, woe is me. He didn't say, woe is the world. Woe is whoever we want to blame. Or to sit. Woe is me. I am ruined. I am a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Listen, church. Confession isn't a self-condemnation thing. It's not that I see my wrongs, the condition of my life, and say, you know, I'm a horrible, terrible person. We may have made mistakes. We have all have made mistakes. Things and things have come out of those mistakes in our lives. And so 
coming to that place of confession isn't a horrible place because that confession is that I am shaking all that stuff off. God is revealing it to me. I'm bringing it before the one who can make a difference in my life. It is... (laughs) It is like I used to tell people in counseling is that when you come to me, don't just dump all your garbage, vomit it on my desk and leave and think there's nothing else that you need to do about this. I'm not coming before God and vomiting all of my horrible sins before him. I'm coming before him and saying, God, I want you to do a cleansing I want you to do a cleaning. I want you to do a restoration. And the beauty of it, the wonder of it all, is that he can. When I had my first heart attack, I hate saying that my first because I have had three. When I had my first heart attack, I didn't ask the guy driving the ambulance as they were taking me to the hospital, would you take me to my mechanic, please? Because he's great in putting a new carburetor in my car. I, I want them to take me to the best person that they could find to be able to bring that restoration to that heart of mine. When I come before God in that confession, I'm coming before the great physician, the one who could restore, renew, who could take all that stuff that is on our shoulders that we carry, that is so heavy, so burdensome. I'm saying, God, I'm laying this at the cross. I think God's probably thinking, about time, I've been waiting. Why are you doing it? Is that if I'm having a hard time with my computer and I just, oh, man, I try to figure out fire. I mean, I spend a whole five minutes trying to figure it out. I just tell Arlene, I literally give her my laptop and say, fix it. She says, you want me to tell you what I did? No, just fix it. I want I want to be able to come before God knowing that, oh, man, he could fix it. How is he able to take that sin in my life and do a restoring work? I I just don't know. I just know it happened. As as that, that teen challenge fellows decades ago who was standing right here, right at that step, sharing his testimony. And he said something, three words, over and over. He he didn't say how God did it. He just knew he was addicted. And he was saying, I'm clean. Then he looked at that congregation again and he said, I'm clean. And he looked at the third or fourth time until he got to the place and said, I'm clean. Because it was the restoring work of an almighty God. And through that confession, he wants to come 
And then he wants to bring change, which is our third thing. Isaiah, he saw this, these seraphims flying around and they took a burning coals off of the altar with tongs. They were pretty hot. And he touched his mouth of his lips and said, your iniquities is taken away and your sins are gone. Why? Why, why didn't he lay it at his feet or on top of it? He touched his lips. Because he knew the stuff that would be coming out of our lives. I need to talk about the things of God, what God is doing, what God's promises are, what God is capable of. I have to stop blaming and excusing myself of those things. He wants to bring that change within our lives. He says, and by, the, by the word of the testimony and the power of the blood of Christ, we are overcomers. He touched his lips with the coals of that altar. And he brought about change. Then, you see, that change is not goosebumps. I don't want to be stirred, church. I love the feeling. I love that sense of God's presence. I love sensing that peace, standing or kneeling or laying in awe of God. A while back, I went to a Promise Keepers for Ministers. I'll never forget. It wasn't even an altar call. He was just praying at the end. <laughs> And all of a sudden, all these men and women of God come walk, coming out of their seats. And they didn't kneel on that stadium floor. They were laying prostrate before God. Those are wonderful moments. They were stirring moments. As much as I cherish them and love them, I don't live upon them. What I live upon is the change and that happens after work. The work that is done in that cleansing, that restoring. He makes all things new. What he begins to do is he creating us into a new creature. And it's a continual work that happens within our lives. The fourth thing is commitment. Would you stand with me, please? You see, in that commitment, it's like this. I love this saying. It goes, though no one can go back and make a brand new start, my friend, anyone can start from now and make a brand new end. Here's what he wants to do. You see, we, I don't know if you're in one of those cycles of the Israelites. I don't know if you're at that place of confusion or confession. I don't know, maybe you, you, you're at that place of change, or now maybe you're even at that commitment. You're ready to do something. But something's going on. And God is saying that in all the chaos, I want you to see me. 
In, in this series, we're going to be looking at challenge after challenge after challenge and how those things try to prevent us from seeing God. But when I see God within them, something is about to happen. And it's more than a stirring. It's a revolution. It's a change. All of a sudden, what I do is I take off this old coat and I start putting on the armor. Because now I know I'm going for in the warfare. I'm not telling you it's going to be easy, but I'm telling you that you'll be a victor in it. Because when I rise up to be that warrior of faith, when I rise up to say in that commitment, no matter what the past may have been, I can't change that. That's done. But I can change my ending for what God is about to do. And I go, let's do it together, Lord. Let's be that man and woman of God that he's saying in that chaos of this world there is a tsunami of God's work that's rising up and it's about to be unleashed into this world I'm not looking at the chaos of the pandemic I'm not looking at the chaos of, of, of our economy or, or of our politics my eyes is in the heavens and the glory of God and I'm seeing let's see what rises up in the midst of this desert let's see what he restores what the locusts have tried to eat away let's see that rose bloom where nothing could grow Let's see what God could do because he is alive, my friend, and he wants to do the work with you while you're here today.